you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Acts chapter 16. This is an incredible passage of Scripture, and actually you can combine some of the story from Acts chapter 14 just two chapters earlier. We have been, for the last few weeks, working through Scripture on the idea, with the premise of bouncing back, being resilient. This is no doubt about it, a time of year where we are stretched or we are compressed. Maybe we would understand the terminology that we are bent out of shape. How do we restore order? How do we return to form? How do we bounce back? The scripture gives us models to follow. I'm thankful that the models and examples that scripture gives to us are not of perfect people. Not always perfect scenarios and perfect situation, but people who, despite the odds, live lives that are pleasing to God. Here in Acts chapter 16, we're going to enter into a moment in the Apostle Paul's life where he has just lost John Mark. He's been separated from Barnabas, who was his traveling companion, and he's now heading out on his missionary journey, and Silas is by his side. I have no doubt in my mind that he had aspirations for a successful endeavor. I believe he was going with a heart full of hope, imagining that the gospel would have impact and that God would further his work, and certainly he would. But I also know the Apostle Paul was well aware of the way God works and that not everything was going to go according to his plan exactly. And in Acts chapter 16, as we begin reading in verse 1, we start with this phrase, Then came he to Derby and Lystra. Back in Acts chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story. The Apostle Paul arrives in these sister cities, Derby and Lystra. When he arrives on scene there to proclaim the gospel, he heals a man who was lame. And the man jumps up and he begins to walk and the entire city is amazed at the power of Paul. They imagine that he is a mythical god, that he is the god of Mercury and so they want to worship him. And they assemble all of their wares to carry out pagan worship for the Apostle Paul. He steps in front of them, he rends his clothes, he pleads with them not to fulfill this sacrifice, but rather he was here to tell them the truth and to pull them away from this pagan ritual. Now, the Judaizers arrive on the scene and they whip the crowd into a frenzy and the Apostle Paul ultimately is stoned outside of the city and he's left for dead. He, with unbelievable bravery and strength of the Holy Spirit, works his way back into the city and now, in Acts chapter 16, he's back at Derby and Lystra. I'll continue reading in verse 1. And behold... A certain disciple was there named Timotheus. Now, we would know him as Timothy, and there are two letters in the New Testament written to him. He was the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Now, i got to take just a moment to help fill in the blanks on this story. I believe the Apostle Paul meets Lois and Eunice, that was... Timothy's mother and grandmother, on his first arrival in these cities back in Acts chapter 14. Timothy 
is now a believer, and verse 2 tells us that he has an incredibly good reputation, that all of the believers in the area speak well of Timothy. It is evident that God has his hand on Timothy's life, and Paul desires for Timothy to travel with him. Now, there was a phrase in there that might seem strange to you, but his father was a Greek. Now, what that teaches us is this. His mother was a believer, but his father was not. And everybody that is in this quarter, that is in this portion of the world, they're aware of this situation, which sheds a little light on verse 3 when we read this. Him, Timothy, would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him. Why would he circumcise him? The Apostle Paul did not believe circumcision was necessary for salvation. Certainly not. But according to the principle of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, all things to all people, so that I might see some saved, he was removing the stumbling block because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. He does not think this is necessary for salvation, but in order to make him acceptable in ministry and to remove a stumbling block, he does this. Now, what he is doing is he is assembling a missions team. Paul and Silas, and he desires for Timothy to go with him. Now, I think we can deduce from some of the personal pronouns that are used in here. Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, is also journeying with them. I mean, this is a dream team of New Testament missions. Certainly, Paul was strategic in his gospel outreach. No doubt, we have evidence of his success everywhere that he went. I think at this point, he's a veteran missionary, and he knows exactly what he wants to do and how he wants to go and travel and minister. And in verse 4, we read this, and as they went through the cities, they, this missions team, delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. That's what I, that's what I would expect to happen, Right? Paul and his missions dream team is traveling. I would expect that the teaching and preaching would establish and edify and grow the believers that are here. I would imagine that people were being reached with the gospel, that this was growing in number daily. Now, everything at this point has gone according to plan. Paul, the veteran warhorse soldier for Jesus Christ missionary accompanied by Silas, desiring Timothy, who has a great testimony and reputation, and Luke, traveling around the world, proclaiming the gospel and teaching what they heard from the church of Jerusalem to establish the churches there and increase their faith and reach people who are lost with the grace of Jesus Christ, exactly as we would imagine. But we are about to gain an example from the Apostle Paul and learn an invaluable lesson for ourselves. What do we do when things do not go according to our plan? How do we react and respond when opportunities that we see before us are closed off from us? How do we bounce back from closed doors? Notice what we read in verse 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, And then this very matter-of-fact statement. And were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, you stop for a second. The word forbidden literally means they were cut off. 
which communicates to me they were now, as these verses said, through Phrygia. They had gone through the region of Galatia. They are undertaking their journey to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit cuts them off. Why? Do they in Asia not need the gospel? Certainly. Do you deem the Apostle Paul incompetent of communicating the gospel to the people of Asia? I mean, no way. The Holy Spirit cuts off Paul and this dream team of missionaries from going on into Asia. Paul does what any of us would do. We sense within him an adherence to the mandate of God. Okay, it's not Asia, let's pivot. And that's the pivot that we'll see as we read on. And were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia in verse 7. After they were come to Mysia... They assayed to go into Bithynia. They wanted now, okay, it's no to Asia. We'll go into Bithynia. And the Bible says, but the Spirit suffered them not. I'm kind of interested. How did the Holy Spirit tell them? Was it a vision in the night? We're going to come into a vision in the night here in a moment. Did he impress on the heart of Paul, this isn't it? Was somebody crossing their paths and saying, don't go here? Was it some circumstance that rose up? We don't know, and I'm actually glad we don't know, because it makes the example greater for us. We don't know why God said no, but we do know that God said no to Asia, and he said no to Bithynia. We know very clearly that God has closed some doors. One author said this, We can't imagine why God would shut some of the doors that he does. So we try harder. But where God closes a door, he merely has his sights on something better. Something around the bend that we cannot see. Are you aware that God does at times tell us no? And when God tells us no, we find ourselves bent out of shape, we find ourselves compressed, we find ourselves stretched. How do we bounce back when God says no? How do we endure when we have an opportunity before us and the door is closed? Something so logical to us, something that makes perfect sense to us. Now, now understand, not something born of a carnal nature, not something from Paul's fleshly heart. This wasn't a moment of pride in the Apostle Paul. He is doing the work of God, and it makes sense to him to go to Asia. And when God said no to Asia, he doesn't bow up against God. He pivots and he wants to go to Bithynia, and God says no. When God says no to things that seem so logical to us, When God closes doors, even when we're trying to do good, how do we respond? I think it's important in verse 9 to learn this first lesson. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And this is the vision that he had. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, begged him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Now, immediately, I know this, Paul is envisioning continuing to journey in places that he has already been. He's back at Derby. he's back at Lystra, he's through Iconium, he's on a well-worn path back to Tarshish. He wants to go into Asia Minor, but God has different plans. Paul is about to be pushed out of his comfort zone. Now, I know this about you because I know this about me, and I assume you're as rotten as I am. You're as vile as I am. You're as petulant as I am. You're as childish as I am. You say, there's no way I'm as childish as you. See? 
I have a tendency within me to wallow. Does that make sense to you? When things don't go my way, I want you to know that I'm not happy about it. When I don't get what I want, when I want, I will sometimes just huff and puff enough to let you know that I'm displeased with you impeding my progress. And I also have the ability to prolong my pity parties. Does the term sour grapes mean anything to you? When you don't get what you want, even when something else is offered to you, you don't want it because you didn't get what you wanted, even if secretly you actually do want it. I want apple pie. We don't have apple pie. But we do have cherry pie. Well, no, because I didn't get my apple pie. But here's cherry pie. Well, I want it, but I need you to know that I wanted apple pie. And so I'm going to put on this petulant show. I'm going to have a bitter heart. I'm not going to do what you want me to do because you want me to do it. I want apple pie. When I have sufficiently let you know that you have failed me in this area, I will accept your offering of peace and eat your cherry pie, which I actually do want. You say, well, that is petulant behavior. Exactly. And sometimes Christians just like you and me are guilty of petulant behavior when God shuts doors on us. When God tells us no. When his sovereign plan goes against our logic. When we're just trying to do good and we're just trying to do right and God impedes, he cuts us off and he says no. I want you to notice what Paul did after the man from Macedonia says, come and help us. In verse 10, after he had seen the vision, no sour grapes, no petulant behavior, no bitterness, he immediately endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. Okay, God, if it's Macedonia, I'm in. I wanted Asia, you said no. I thought, Bithynia, you stopped us. You say Macedonia, immediately he is obeying. And I learned the first lesson of resilience when God closes a door is obey what God tells you to do. Sometimes we get so nuanced. We try to be so advanced. We try to make it harder than it needs to be. The basic tenets of the faith are basic tenets for a reason. The mandates of Scripture are communicated for us, and we should obey them. When God closes a door, it's not time to stubborn up, stiffen up, and rebel. We obey God. One author said this about God's timing. Paul was not told when he started where he would end up. So why would he try to seize control? Do you know that most of God's journeys start that way? Abram left his homeland not knowing where he was going. And yet he undertook the journey in faith. When Jesus was in Capernaum and he was calling disciples to follow him, the Bible tells us that oftentimes they would leave their fishing tackle, their boats, their wares, their personal business, they were leaving behind them. For James and John, they even left their father, who was their business partner there in the fishing industry, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus said to them this, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. In effect, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. Leave the known and follow me. I think it's wonderful for us to establish from the onset. When we begin to follow God, there is no sense of where we will end up. We are given enough light to take the next step. Secondarily, Paul was repeatedly hindered from doing what he wanted to do 
without being told why. Now, here's the natural thing. Lord, our ministry is effective and we want to go into Asia. Mid-step to Asia, God says no. What's the natural reaction from us? Why? Okay, no to Asia. We've come through Mysia. We want to go to Bithynia. We're on our way to Bithynia. No. Our natural reaction is to say, why? God does not owe us a why. What we owe God is obedience. The fact is, God does have the ability to tell us no and doesn't have to tell us why. Paul was subjected to physical and emotional challenges and he didn't know how long his ordeal would last. We're going to learn a little bit more about that in a moment, but one author wrote this. I thought it was great. Before the Lord can turn you around and head you in another direction, he often has to completely stop you. And those potholes in the racetrack, those obstacles along the way that cause you to swerve and sweat are all part of his plan. They are all a part of his process. God has closed the door and opened an opportunity. And know this in your heart. God never closes a door without opening an opportunity. So now we know that God has told Paul and his dream team of missionaries to head into Macedonia. Now, based on what we know about the Apostle Paul, that he can heal, that he can preach, that he has an impact to the degree that there are riots when he arrives in a city, certainly we expect that when he arrives in Macedonia, explosive growth is going to take place. After all, God has said no to his plans and his logic to open this door. Let's read on in verse 11. All right, Macedonia it is. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. Now, he's just telling us about his journey. And from Neapolis, we went thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, a Roman colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. The Apostle Paul arrives in Philippi, the chief city in Macedonia. It's a Roman colony. When he arrives there, now understand, he has seen the vision, the man from Macedonia beckoning him with his hand, come and help us. He arrives on scene and he probably thinks, like I think or you think, I cannot wait to see what God has in store for me here He has so clearly communicated his plan. When he arrives in Philippi, he finds there's not even a synagogue to go and start his missions work, which was his custom to do. And the law said if you didn't have 10 believers in God, 10 Jewish men there, there was no synagogue. So we can deduce there aren't even 10 Jewish believers in God. This is real missions work. And so according to the dictates of the law, Sabbath comes, Paul knows that he wants to pray, and he heads out to a riverside to pray, and as he goes there to pray, there is a small gathering of women there. And they overhear the conversation of the Apostle Paul, and they overhear what is going on, and I want you to notice in verse 14 an important phrase. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. And then this phrase, whose heart the Lord opened. That she attended 
unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide with us there. And she constrained us. He said, I don't understand what you just read. I'm perplexed. The Apostle Paul makes it out. This is the mighty missionary Paul. It was his custom to work his way into the synagogue to stand up. And I mean, this was a brazen way to communicate. He stands up. He knows that his message is not going to be well received. And he preaches unto the people the truth of Jesus Christ. This is taken away from him. So he works his way out to a riverside there with his small group of missionaries. They're going to have a prayer meeting. They're discussing the things of God. And he notices down the way a group of ladies there and the most fear-inducing thing for any missionary pastor, a ladies' Bible study. Why? Because they come up with super deep questions that are so hard to answer. You say, well, shouldn't you know theology? Probably, but they're really hard questions. Now, the Apostle Paul meets a lady named Lydia, and the Bible just tells us that she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Now, hold on. I'm in Philippi. I'm at a riverside because there's not even a synagogue here to start in. I've bumped into a lady's Bible study. The lady is eavesdropping on our conversation, and the Bible tells us her heart was opened by the Lord and she believes the truth about Jesus Christ, and she's saved, and she's baptized, and the truth is presented to her household, and her household is saved, and her household is baptized, and she begins to minister under the Apostle Paul. Now, time out. Just live in this moment with me. I am the Apostle Paul. I've got Silas, Timothy, and Luke, a pretty good team of guys. We have been told no, not Asia Minor, when we think we know what we could have done there. Our plan was to pivot to Bithynia, and you said no to that. Very clearly, you told us you wanted us to go to Macedonia, and our expectations are really high, and what we have done thus far is bump into a ladies' Bible study and reach one businesswoman. Now, I imagine they're sitting in Lydia's house. I think this is an awkward scene. They're sitting there drinking coffee quietly. I don't know you. You don't know me. I'm Paul. I can make lame people walk. I author the New Testament. I learned of God in the Arabian desert from Jesus himself. I met the Lord on the road. And I'm sitting in this lady's house and I'm thinking, this is the payoff This is the open opportunity for the doors that you have closed, and I think it's beautiful to settle on this. Lydia's heart was opened by the Lord. Are you aware that God cares enough about one soul that he will alter the missionary journey of the apostle Paul to get the gospel to that one person? That's beautiful. Grace. Now, Paul has a beachhead, by the way, in Europe for the church. And he is in Philippi spending some time. Now, we all know that nothing comes easy for the Apostle Paul. And where God begins a work, the adversary does also. And we'll find the adversary show up in verse 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, they're going to pray, they're doing the right thing. A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us. This is a demon-possessed girl who had masters who would basically take money and she would tell people's future. She was a soothsayer. That's what we're going to learn. Her masters were brought much gain by her soothsaying. 
that same, that little girl, followed Paul and us, that's where Luke tells us he's there, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days, but Paul being grieved. You say to yourself, why would the Apostle Paul be grieved about this walking billboard shouting out, these men are here to tell us the truth and show us the way of salvation. Always remember that the adversary is against the gospel. And so her shouting this out was obviously derisive. And after a few days of patiently enduring this demonic spirit, the Apostle Paul is grieved, and the Bible tells us he turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he, the demon, came out that same hour. That moment he came out. Great. You've told us to go to Macedonia. And thus far we've developed a ladies' Bible study. And we've been harassed by a little girl. Thanks for the altered plans, God. It gets worse. Because these men who were making money off of the demonic spirit in this little girl are not pleased that their method of making money and much money has been cut off. And so in verse 19, when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone... They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive. They're really hamming this up. Neither do observe being Romans, and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, if if you and I called a time out and went to Paul and went to Silas and said, hey, is this what you envisioned when you undertook your second missionary journey? I think Paul would say something like, I expected something like beatings in jail. It's all I know. Silas, probably not so much. No, this isn't what we thought. We assumed when God opened an opportunity that it would be incredible, that it would be great. We didn't imagine that it would be a seller of purple, a demon-possessed girl, and now prison after we've been beat. How do you respond when things are not going according to plan? Shouldn't you reap the rewards of obedience? Shouldn't everything be coming up roses? Shouldn't it just be the way it goes, turmoil, difficulty, persecution? Do you realize that those things are not always indicators of being out of God's will? But sometimes, as much as we don't like it, God will use hardship to help us arrive right where he wants us to be. And here's where the Apostle Paul is at midnight. Having been beaten within an inch of his life. Silas, having been beaten. Welcome to ministry, Silas. In the inner prison, which means they're way in, they're in the hole, man, and they are chained. They begin to sing praises unto God at midnight, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, immediately, all the doors of every prison cell were opened, and everyone, every single prisoner's bands were loosed. 
And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Now let's just stop for a second. There's some amazing stuff that happened in that segment of verses. After all, a divine earthquake shakes the foundation of the prison cell and all the prison doors, which were previously locked, are open. That's amazing. The prisoners, which were all bound by chains, are all now free. That is miraculous. That is amazing. What is more stunning than that is that the Apostle Paul and Silas were singing praises unto God. And here's what I know after 17 years of pastoring. I don't know that I've met a Christian at that level just yet. Which means I'm admitting I'm not there either. This can't be the payoff for obedience. This cannot be what the... Did we miss it? Was it Asia? Was it Bithynia? Why am I sitting in a prison cell? Why have I been beat? Why am I always up against this? Why, God? They sang praises. Why? Because God never changes, right? And if God was worthy to sing and praise on the riverbank when Lydia was reached, he who never changes is still worthy to be sung about and praised even when you're in the prison cell. And the jailer is about to take his life because according to Roman law, if you, the keeper of the jail, let the prisoners go, you yourself were condemned by their sentence. I think perhaps it is even indicating that Paul and Silas are under sentence of death and he knows they're going to kill me and rather than deal with all of that, I will take care of it myself. And the apostle Paul stops him. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're all accounted for. He calls for a light. He gets a light. He walks into the prison cell because they could all hear them singing and praising. And in verse 30, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway immediately. By the way, the most important question ever asked is what must I do to be saved? And the most important answer anyone will ever give to any question is to that. And the answer is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There was no lecture there. There was no religious sales pitch. There was nothing about his parents and how they raised him. There was no self-image test. There was no exhortation towards a sacrament or towards some system of religion. No requirement of baptism. No requirement of church membership. Church isn't even mentioned. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on what Jesus has done on the cross. Believe in who Jesus is, God's only begotten Son, and thou shalt be saved. You say, yeah, but it says, and all of his house. But it also tells us that they went to his house And based on his testimony and the truth of what they heard about Jesus, they also believed everybody is saved the same way, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what else I think is interesting in those verses? Is that the Bible says, Paul sang with Silas. Why is that amazing to me? Because he was Paul. And he could have said, Silas, this is hard. Silas, I've been beaten. Silas, I've been chained and I'm imprisoned. Sing to me, Silas. Encourage me, Silas, 
Strengthen me, Silas. Lift my spirits. But he sang with him. Do you realize one of the greatest things that we can do when we are enduring hardness is to continue to minister to other people? Because what can happen is if we allow ourselves to always be the victim and to always need the ministry, we never engage in what we saw. He sang with him. He didn't ask him to sing to him. And we know he's now miraculously freed. I am stunned as I read this. This is the payoff in Philippi. The nucleus of the church is made up of a woman who's a seller of purple, thus far a demoniac slave girl, and a Roman jailer. But that's the grace of God. One author said this, The church is now flying its flag on the continent of Europe, and it is the flag of grace. Don't quit moving forward. Don't stop obeying God. Weariness, hardship, stretched, compressed, bent out of shape. How do I bounce back? Obey. Remember that God is who He always was and don't stop, even when life's hard. I read an interesting story on Abraham Lincoln. He was publicly called just about every name imaginable by the press of his day. He was called a grotesque baboon. He was called a third-rate country lawyer who once split rails and now splits the union. He was called a coarse, vulgar joker, a dictator, an ape, a buffoon, and others. In fact, the Illinois State Register labeled him the craftiest and most dishonest politician that ever disgraced an office in America. It seems like things haven't changed, right? Politics is ugly all the time. Imagine that slander. Ironically, as a nation, we built an enormous memorial to that man even though those in his day and many of them despised him openly. You, you don't stop just because it seems like you're bumping up against it. There are some really valuable lessons that we learn here from the Apostle Paul that I just want to communicate to you as I close. The first is this, give God the right to take his time. By the way, God has the right to take as long as he wants. Our values Our timing and our thoughts are not God's thoughts. I'm not saying you have the ability to give God the right to take his time. I'm saying on your attitude and your heart set, acquiesce and give God the right to take his time. Okay, it's not Asia Minor. Okay, it's not Bithynia. All I want to know, God, is what you have for me. I note this as well. Remember in faith that God wants you to know his will. God doesn't want you to live in the dark. He doesn't want you to live in a fog, in a state of confusion. He is working his plan, and he wants you to know his plan, and he wants you to obey his plan. I know this as well. Don't compare your current results to what you imagine might have been. You don't know what might have been. That's a, that's a prison that all of us live in. If I would have just married him or her, If we would have just taken that job, if we would have just started this sooner, if we would have just moved there, if we would have just done this or that or whatever it may have been, then life would have been great. Don't compare your current results to what you imagine might have been because you have no idea what might have been. And what might have been could have been 10 times or 100 times worse than what currently is. If I was in the prison cell, 
chained and bound as the Apostle Paul, I would have thought to myself, if only you would have allowed me to go into Asia Minor. I know how it works there. If only you would have allowed me to go into Bithynia. I wouldn't be here in this prison cell, but you might be dead. We create this prison system for ourselves. And we exert so much useless energy bemoaning what we imagine could have been when we have no idea what could have been. Don't compare your current results to what you imagine might have been. You don't know what might have been. And then this, simply obey God and move forward. Simply obey God and move forward. So many Christians imprison themselves. And this is one of the roots of bitterness. I don't know how we ended up here. I don't know how I ended up with you. I don't know how I ended up with this job. I don't know how we ended up in this financial condition. I didn't ask for this health crisis. I didn't ask for this financial crisis. I didn't ask for my boss to come in and say, you no longer work here. I didn't ask for any of this. What might have been had we not moved, had we just shifted, had we, and, and a bitterness creeps in, and a negativity creeps in, and a distrust of God creeps in, and an idleness settles in, and we become useless to the cause of Christ. And what we're learning here is how to bounce back. How do I bounce back when God closes doors? We realize he opens opportunities. Yeah, but the opportunity that he opened, what I dreamed about Asia Minor, what I dreamed about Bithynia, is a business lady, a demoniac girl, and a jailer? We don't know what's coming of what God is doing. I do know this. The Apostle Paul is going to write, from a Roman prison, by the way, the book of Philippians to a church that is here at Philippi. And the core theme of the book of Philippians is rejoice. It's joy. It is stunning that there's a group of believers in Philippi to receive this letter on joy. And we use the letter to the believers in Philippi to learn how to do church. And it's in the letter to the believers at Philippi that he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but realized it was God's plan that he empty himself and become a servant and become obedient even to the death of the cross. This lesson is invaluable. When God closes doors, we don't quit. We obey and we move forward. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.